0: Most of us want a workplace that's more equitable and have taken at least some action to create that. And yet, still, there's so much complexity and work to be done. On this episode, Lois Frankel and Tom Henschel both return to the show to discuss the complexities of gender at work and call each of us to take the next step. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 392.
1: Produced by Innovate Learning, Maximizing Human Potential.
0: Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. If you've been listening to the show for at least the last month or so, you may recall hearing an episode with Dr. Lois Frankel uh, about a month and a half ago titled Unconscious Mistakes, women make that sabotage their careers. Had so much wonderful feedback from that episode, as did Lois, who's back with me again today, and heard just some wonderful, wonderful comments of how useful so many of the things Lois mentioned on that episode was. And I also received a comment from one of our listeners, Bonnie, (laughs) not the Bonnie I'm married to, a different Bonnie. And Bonnie wrote in and she said, I have to push back on that last episode, Dave. Once again, asking women or other minoritized groups to change their behaviors while never once asking men or other groups with agency to adapt to a diverse workplace isn't going to get us there. And I thought that message very insightful. Bonnie and I went back and forth, talked a little bit about it. And one of the things I mentioned to Bonnie is that last episode was by no means the end of the conversation in fact, just the beginning. And I am glad to continue the conversation today with two experts that you know if you've been listening to the show. One of them is Lois Frankel. I'm glad to welcome her back. Lois is the president of Corporate Coaching International, a best selling author, executive coach, and an internationally recognized expert in the field of leadership development for women. She is the author of the New York Times best selling books, Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office, Nice Girls Don't Get Rich, and Nice Girls just don't get it, which was the topic of our conversation last time. And I'm also joined by Tom Henschel. Tom Henschel is from Essential Communications, and he grooms senior leaders and executive teams. He's an internationally recognized expert in the field of workplace communications and self-presentation. And he's helped thousands of leaders achieve excellence through his work as an executive coach and his top-rated podcast, The Look and Sound of Leadership, which is well-known to our listening community. Tom, Lois, I am glad to welcome you both.
1: Thank you so much, Dave. It's an honor to be back with you.
0: I agree. So it's nice to be here. So both of you not only have done a lot of work on this question before, and both of you are returning guests to the show, Tom, you many times, of course, Uh, but you both have also presented a keynote many times together in the past called Why Men Are Heard and Women Are Liked. So I think you're both just uniquely qualified to respond to this question and for us to tackle uh, some of the nuances here. And Lois, I think I'll probably toss this to you first, thinking of what Bonnie sent into us women and, and of course, other groups who are minority status are resentful that they're the—I shouldn't say they're all, but certainly some—are resentful that they are the ones who are often called on to adapt in a quote-unquote man's world. And it does seem unfair, doesn't it?
1: Now, I totally agree with that, that it, it does seem unfair and that women are asked to do this, have this extra burden— And it's interesting because when you first forwarded me Bonnie's email, you know that I responded to you and I said, you know, the reason why I don't talk about what men should do is because I don't feel as if I have control over what anyone does except me. I'm not able to control men's behavior. I'm a strong believer in if I can control my behavior and make the changes that ensure that I'm leveling the playing field then the fact is is that men probably don't have to change that much in my opinion because then i've leveled the playing field i'm the one who's interacting with them in a way that's an equal and so that's you know that's how i see it and and i hope bonnie understands that that, that my feeling is women don't have to change uh, and i certainly say this in all my books and in all my keynotes if what you're doing is working for you keep doing it on the other hand, if it's not, you can do all these things like we talked about last time and some of which we'll talk about today to level the playing field that's in the domain of your control. Does that make sense, Dave and Tom?
0: It, it lands well with me. And I was thinking, I do the same thing, Lois. You know, we talk so much on the show on personal leadership. And if we're going to have the privilege to influence others. Most of the time, that influence starts with us changing something in ourselves first. And as much as I know the three of us, I don't think I'm over speaking for either of you. The three of us would like to change a lot about the world (laughs) and how gender dynamics (laughs) show up in the workplace. The reality is, in a lot of situations, and I've I've had some in the last week where I've been coaching women who are are handling the situation, is they're not going to change the other person, at least not right away. So what can they do themselves that can potentially make the situation a bit better? And and Tom, I'm curious how you think about that too.
2: I think of this issue partly as a gender issue. There's no doubt about it. It is not a level playing field for women. I think in most companies and in our culture in general here in the United States, I think that's true. It's not a level playing field. That said, I think we could turn this into, for example, a conversation about introverts. It's not a level playing field for introverts in most workplaces. We could turn it into a cultural issue like, you know, cultural training. Hey, when I go to Japan, I really need to hand my business card this way. And if I choose not to do it that way, there will be some consequence for that. So on some level, I want to be clear. I don't think it's a level playing field. And then you get to decide how do you want to play the game, given that that's true. She also spoke, Bonnie also kind of said... You know, but what about the other side? What about them? Why aren't they ever asked to change? To which I say, you know, some of them are asked to change, depending, again, on the culture of the company or who the boss is or whatever. Sometimes that happens, and as Lois says, that's not in our control.
0: When it comes right down to it, what do you think women wish men would change?
1: You know, I think women wish that men would understand that what they contribute is different but equal. I think women often feel as if the things that they have to contribute around collaboration and cooperation and giving people positive feedback and all those things that we quote unquote call the soft skills. I think women wish that men would understand that they are as critical to the business as the things that men have a tendency or stereotypically to contribute as well. I mean, that was really the entire intent of the keynote that Tom and I put together called Why Men Are Heard and Women Are Liked. We wanted people to understand that both sides bring something to the table. And if you really want to create a great, dynamic, successful workplace – then you are going to appreciate and sometimes engage in the behaviors of the opposite sex. So for me, I think that's really what it comes down to. It's not like I wish you'd appreciate this specific thing, but rather realize that the contributions that I make have intrinsic value, even though they look and sound different than yours.
2: The thing that I feel, and again, I'm not going to speak for what women want. I'm going to say the conversation that I have with men about this is very difficult because men are at different stages of their own development. It's a little bit like talking about white privilege. Some people get it as a concept, but don't have any relationship to it other than a concept. Some people really live it and, and work it hard and understand that identity issues are real. Some men kind of are saying, well, yeah, sure, of course I want women on my team, but they don't understand kind of what the core issues are as an identity issue. And I think different men are at different stages of this. And that's a conversation that I think is pretty profound.
0: I think one of the things that, All three of us hope for coming out of this conversation is that regardless of how you identify in your workplace and what gender role you identify with, that you would see more of the complexity in this and also that each of us would think about the complexity here and think about how can I contribute in such a way that helps to bring us toward more, uh, for lack of a better term, more equity. And yep. how we approach this. And I love what Jonathan Raymond said on the show last year. And I forget the context of how this came up, but we were talking about a gender issue. And he made the point of both sides do have a responsibility to get better. And if you're the person in power you bear more of that responsibility, that you need to really take that first step. And I, I really like the way he framed that because it appreciates the complexity. And yet I think to get to the, you know, the point from Bonnie of we also do need to take whatever way we're in power, if we are in power, of we need to take that first step and lead in that way. And that brings me to a question also about men of what happens when they act counter to the stereotype for how men should act.
2: I think that, yes, there's quote-unquote stereotypically masculine behavior and stereotypically female behavior. I must say that depends to me, the more I coach in different companies, I think the culture itself, the culture of the company dictates it. I've been in lifestyle companies that are mostly female-dominated, where female behavior is actually encouraged, including in the men. And a lot of the men are you know, talking the language of feelings and talking the language of intuition. And that would not happen, let's say, in a finance company that is run by hard data and is mostly masculine dominated. So I tend to kind of say it's partly male, female and gender behaviors. I do think those tend to exist. And I do think women and men's brains are different. That said, I also want to say, look at the culture you're in, because that's one of the things you want to do is you want to be matching the culture. Lois, how does culture show up
0: for you and your work when you're working with a woman, as I know most of your clients are women? How does culture show up in that conversation?
1: Well, there's culture, two different kinds of cultures. First of all, there's a corporate culture, isn't there? And I refer to the corporate culture as a playing field just like in sports, there are different playing fields. In all playing fields, however, there's boundaries. And when you go out of those boundaries, you get called out or something negative happens to you, you know, or you lose a point or the other team gets the point. And so what both men and women have to do, and women need to learn to become more adept at this because I think men are already a little bit better at it than we are, they need to identify where are those boundaries in this corporate culture and where are they for women, where are they for people of color, where are they for Caucasian men because the boundaries differ for all of those groups. And if you go out of bounds, you're going to find yourself paying a price. So there's that kind of culture. And then there's also obviously the ethnicities and and that kind of culture. And I see very distinct ethnic cultural differences. For example, when I work with Latinas, the messages they continue to get in their families are around family comes first, make sure that people are going to like you. You know, there's a kernel of truth in every stereotype. And so, what I see happening for women in certain cultures is that their, quote unquote, playing fields get even further narrowed. Or an example is, I did a group of, this is a mouthful, it was Iranian Jewish physicians. Hmm. And these were very successful women. And yet when they came together, they talked about how in their culture, their parents are still telling them, when are you gonna give up this idea of being a doctor and just have a family, (laughs) just have children, right? So women are still dealing with those kinds of stereotypes as well. Now, that's not to say that men don't deal with those cultural stereotypes because they do. I would imagine that a male Iranian Jewish physician who said, I want to be a stay at home dad would probably get the opposite kind of pushback. So, yeah, you know, Tom said it's a very complex issue and it is.
0: I mentioned earlier in the conversation that you've both created and delivered a keynote together called Why Men Are Heard and Women Are Liked. Why did you develop it? And what are some of the key messages that you have for your audiences when you deliver it?
1: I'll answer the first part. Then I'll I'll let Tom take the second part. We designed it because as I was going around the world doing keynote addresses, they were almost always to women's groups. And women always wanted the system to change. And what I realized was as long as women... Are talking to other women about these issues, the system is not going to change. So I thought we need to develop something where men and women can come to the table together and women aren't identified as the problem and men aren't identified as a problem, but rather we can see and take advantage of what Catherine Briggs and Isabel Myers from the Myers-Briggs called gifts differing. Mm -hmm. And that if we could really appreciate those different gifts that we all bring to the workplace, then we could work together much more collaboratively and harmoniously. So, that was the purpose of it, was to get men at the table with women rather than just having these women's groups speaking with each other. So, that's when I I called Tom and I said, Tom, would you help me to, to design this? Because you have a lot of insights into this, and I don't think a woman alone can deliver this program. So, Tom, I'll I'll toss it over to you then.
2: The second piece that was baked into what we did was the idea that men and women are different, that our brains are different. Men and women have different instincts. Again, in general, it's always a bell curve and it's never absolute. But that we brought forward a lot of information in the beginning, of the, our opening minutes, to kind of say, look, men and women are different. And it's okay to acknowledge that. That's not a bad thing. We're not trying to make everyone the same. On the other hand, we do think we can learn from each other. And sometimes the women are going to learn from the women and the men are going to learn from the men. But there's a place in the middle where we all can be more effective together. So that was the big premise that we built it on.
0: You both have a really long and extensive and successful career professionally in in a number of different venues. Tom, I'm curious, how is the workplace different for men today than say it was 30 years ago when you and Lois first met?
2: I think the issue of diversity is being recognized as a real thing I don't think everybody's, you know, at the same place with it just like, you know, that I I think that's a pretty obvious statement, but I do think that there are affinity groups that are out there, this whole Me Too movement that has taken over in the last 2 years that has made people very aware that like, look, I could go to jail or lose my job if I'm inappropriate in the workplace. That was never true before. So I think it's shined a light on it. And again, some men are responding in fear because they don't understand what the real issue is. But the fact that there's so much consciousness about gender, culture, race, ethnicity, especially in the big corporations where there are entire groups of people or even divisions who are working around diversity and inclusion, and that diversity and inclusion has become its own phrase. You know, people talk about D&I, diversity and inclusion, that it's a thing. I think that awareness is on people's minds. Now, again, I just want to go back and say, I think it is like white privilege. There's a lot of people who kind of don't think it's real. There's a lot of people who don't know what to do about it. They don't really think about it at all. But I do think that in general, in the workplace, the issue is identified more. I don't know how far the ball has actually moved down the field.
1: Tom, I think the last part of what you said is especially true, moving the ball down the field. I worked in equal employment opportunity in the 1980s at a Fortune 10 oil company. And I taught classes in, you know, how you treat people fairly and how do we ensure that there's equity in the workplace and all that stuff. And when I look back all those years later, it's been almost 40 years. I don't think the balls moved much at all. In fact, until the Me Too movement, all it did was go underground. My experience was that men, particularly Caucasian men, learned how not to get caught saying and doing the things that were going to get them in trouble. It Mm. wasn't that any attitudes changed because if attitudes had changed, We would see more women as CEOs. We would see more women on boards of directors. California wouldn't have had to pass a law that said, you know, certain size companies need to have a certain number of women on the board of directors. We would not have needed all that. And that's true in most countries around the world that I've been to. And so, you know, it's like I often say that, have we come a long way? Well, we've come a way. I can't say we've come a long way. (laughs)
0: Lois, <laughs> it's so interesting to hear you say that, because I don't think this made it into our prior conversation. But when I was preparing for our last conversation with you, I, I did ask a couple of women in my life, how do you feel like this has gone over the last 20 or 30 years? And the answer I was expecting was... We still have a long way to go, but we've made a tremendous amount of strides in the last 20, 30 years. And instead, the answer I got was much more like you just said, Lois, which is, yeah, things are a little bit better, but a lot really hasn't changed that much in the last 20, 30 years. It's just the how we communicate about it has changed. And I have to admit, I was surprised by that response. And I'm glad that I asked the question because I hadn't thought about it through that lens before.
1: Yeah, it's really unfortunate, isn't it? But again, it speaks to how hard it is to change any system.
0: Yeah, yeah, indeed. So I think that that probably begs the obvious question of, you know, what can we do, particularly those listening to this, men and women, of what's the next step? I am conscious of what you said earlier, Lois, of the practical, let me focus on me, right? Because I know I can control that. Let's set that aside just for a moment, and if you could wave your magic wand and you were giving uh, tips to men of what should men be thinking about that uh, would be a starting point to work more effectively with women, and particularly the men who are those that, you know, they espouse this value, they want to create equity in the workplace, but maybe necessarily aren't seeing all the blind spots,
1: what would you say? I think one of the most important things they could do is be more of an advocate for women in the workplace. It's one thing to say, yes, I believe in inequality. Yes, I hire women and promote them and so forth. But I think it's important that men start being advocates for women as much as they are advocates for other men. And what I mean by that is an advocate is often someone who speaks up for us on our behalf when we're not there, so that when they are in meetings where it's being discussed, you know, succession planning is being discussed, the willingness to say, you know, we haven't considered any women for this position, and we have a lot of women on the bench that would be great for this, I can think of a couple in particular. So for me, one of the the best things they could do is be more advocates for us. Now, the problem with that, of course, is when they do that, as Tom already said, they risk being perceived as someone who's weaker or someone who's leaving the fold, right? Well, why is he proposing that for women? Like, what's he supposed to get out of this? And so I think it's hard for men to do that. I think it's hard for them to break away from the pack. And yet, that's what I really wish would start happening.
2: I think it's really important for men to remember that bias exists. The story that I always talk about is what happened in the 1970s, this is a long time ago now, with orchestra auditions, where they started to do blind auditions, where literally the people who were going to do the hiring could not see who was playing. The people came in onto the stage behind a screen and you never knew whether they were a man or a woman. Up until then, women were virtually absent in every national orchestra. And since the 1970s, oh my goodness, it has completely changed the makeup of orchestras because even though the people sitting in the auditorium didn't think they were biased, they were biased. And their bias showed in every orchestra in the country. And the bias gets doubly revealed once you do blind auditions and you start hiring women because they play better. Or, you know, in that instance, I'm not saying all women play better. But I think for men in the workplace to remember, that's right. I, I have this bias. It's like what they've done with uh, changing names on resumes. You know, that when you think it's a woman applying, you have a different response to what you read on the resume. I think it's important to remember that bias in order to try and balance it.
1: Yeah, if I could give an example of how that played out in a symposium once, there was a a very famous scientist that gave a presentation on his work. And this scientist happened to be undergoing a sex change. Okay? So he became she. At the next symposium, she gave another presentation based on very similar work. And obviously, her, her first name had changed, but her second name stayed the same. And after she gave the presentation, she overheard some people saying, you know, she's not bad, but her husband is so much better.
0: Oh, now, that's, well,
1: that's the kind of bias but, but, but. that Tom's talking about. That's the kind of bias that people don't even think they have it, and they have it.
0: I think we all like to think of ourselves as people who are colorblind, genderblind. We treat everyone equitably. And... To the point both of you just made, we all have biases, and a lot of times we don't see them. One of the things I considered when this show first started was thinking about making sure I had a very equal balance of male and female voices on the show. Uh, but the one thing I did not consider, and I thought about things like even political differences, although we don't often talk about that on the show, and um, sexual orientation differences, and, and did a good job of representing all of those different groups as far as our guests. the one lens I didn't really think about was diversity as far as racial diversity. And a listener reached out to me three or four years ago and said, she said very nicely, very professionally. But she made the point of, there's not a lot of color on your show. And you know what? It had never crossed my mind To think about that, where I was reaching out and get in the community, of thinking about it, of watching that, uh, as far as invitations I was making. And when I went back and looked at the early years of this podcast and the minorities who were represented, I was shocked at how few I had invited onto the show. And now, aware of that, I do a lot more to do a better job. Uh, But I know that that was, for me, very much a blind spot, and I would never have thought of myself as someone who would unintentionally be biased in that way, and yet it showed up in my actions, clearly. And so I think this is something that I would ask all of us to look at and grapple with of where am I doing things? I don't even realize that I'm doing them because of the way I was socialized, the way I was brought up, the communities that I've worked in, the corporate culture. It's so easy to miss it, isn't it?
2: And it's a hard conversation to have with the other. So if I'm a woman wanting to talk about gender with a man, that can be a hard conversation to have, or, or a man with a woman to talk about gender. Or if I'm a Latino wanting to talk to my white boss, it can be hard. So I just think, again, thinking about how you want to approach things, approach it not as a victim, not as someone who's angry But really, there is an intense and challenging conversation to be had here. And there's a whole, um, as people who work in diversity and inclusion, you know, they've learned a lot of strategies in order to make those very difficult conversations more comfortable and more productive. It's not an easy thing to do. But your story, Dave, is great, which is your intentions weren't bad, but the results were not what you would have consciously intended. And I can imagine that there's a lot of people in the workplace who do the same thing. They build a team around them that kind of looks like them. They wouldn't have said that was their intention. It's just what happened.
1: Well, and that's why, if you remember, Lyndon Johnson, when he signed the Civil Rights Act, said that he doesn't think people intentionally discriminate. They intentionally don't hire women and people of color and so forth, but rather they have these biases. And that's when he introduced the quota system. And said, if you're going to do business with the government, then you have to have certain percentages of women, and, and we call them women and minorities back then, women and minorities in your employ. And isn't that true? That that's really one of the best ways to measure whether bias is in the system or not. You look at the numbers. I can tell you when I do a keynote and I look in the audience and it's, it's a group of leaders in a particular company, I notice when there's no people of color. I notice when there's no older people and then I know that that's part of that culture that to unintentionally discriminate against those groups
0: yeah and thinking of gender I mean there's so many different ways that this shows up I mentioned to I think I mentioned to both of you uh, sometime in the last year I walked into a bookstore in Newport Beach California and there was a display of top leadership reads and on one of the main shelves right as you walk in. And I thought, oh, what a great shelf for me to look at. And it struck me, looking at the shelf, like there's a lot of books by men on the shelf. And so I counted them. And there were 25 books. And 24 of them were by men. And not only by men, but by white men. And then Cheryl Sandberg's book was the 25th book. And I just thought to myself, wow. To our point from earlier, Lois, we still have a long way to go. I mean, in the leadership literature, for sure, and in the popular leadership literature, there is still such a a disparity uh, here. And it's reflected in the emails I get of pitches for people to be on the show as far as that disparity still here in 2019. It's really striking.
2: Speaking of books, can I throw a book out there that I give to many of my female clients? Please. Aside from, by the way, aside from Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office because I Do that a lot. But another book that I recommend is called The Confidence Code by Katty Kay and Claire Shipman. And they really explore self assurance with women and why women struggle with it and what can be done about it. It's really useful, really helpful. I like this book a lot. And it really is written specifically for women around this one topic.
1: Yes, I, I recommend that book, too. Great book.
2: Well, thank you both
0: so much for this conversation. As I think we mentioned along the way, my hope is, is that we'll all come away from this conversation seeing the complexity that is here, also thinking, what's that first step? And if we do that, then I think we have done something good for all of us. Bravo. Here, here. My hope for you coming out of this is you'll consider some of the complexity of the gender dynamics and the environments you're in, and at least one thing you could own as a next step. The aim for me, at least, in almost every conversation related to leadership these days is rarely to find the answer. Instead, it's to identify What's next? And one next step you may consider is to connect more with Lois and Tom. They both love to engage with questions. And for those who haven't already, Lois invites you to connect with her on LinkedIn to further the conversation. I'll have a link to her profile in this Wednesday's weekly leadership guide. And of course, the best way to connect with Tom is through his monthly podcast, The Look and Sound of Leadership, a great compliment to the conversations we have on this show. Thank you again to you both. Several related episodes to today's conversation. If you found this useful and want to dive in more, I'd recommend episode 255, How Women Make Stronger, Smarter Choices. Therese Houston and I talked in detail about some of the research she's done in writing. On decision-making and particularly how women frame that. And we had a lot of conversation about women and men. And actually, there's a lot there for whichever gender you're identifying with. So that's a great place to start, especially if you're thinking about decision-making. Episode 255 is a great place for that. Also a value to you will be episode 373, how to connect personal growth business outcomes. Jonathan Raymond was my guest on that episode. We talked in depth around how to connect the business and the personal and why the work uh, that he's done at Refound is really centered around that. And we also talked a bunch about diversity and some of the aspects and the complexities that came up in today's conversation in detail there too. Episode 373 is where to go for that. Finally, I would of course recommend episode 386, The Unconscious Mistakes Women Make That sabotage their careers. That was the prior episode with Lois Frankel. We talked in detail about some of the strategies women specifically can take that will avoid some of the common missteps that she's seen in her work with women. A lot of value there. I've heard from many women in our audience that found that conversation extremely helpful. Again, that's episode 386. And of course, she can dive in more on the podcast page on the coaching for leaders website with the entire library the very best way to get access to that is to set up your free membership on the coachingforleaders.com website when you do you're going to get access to a whole bunch more my 10-day audio course titled 10 ways to empower the people you lead if you'll give me just 10 minutes a day for 10 days it'll help you to get the most immediate practical actions to become a better leader. And in addition to that, you'll also get full access to the podcast library with all of the episodes listed since 2011 and searchable by topic, plus the member cast, my book notes, my own personal library, and a ton more. All of that accessible just by going over to coachingforleaders.com, setting up your free membership, and it'll give you the and really the passport to discover a lot more in the library. Next week, I'm glad to welcome Bonnie back to the show. We're going to be returning for the monthly question and answer show. If you have a question you'd like us to consider for uh, the show, either this coming one or a future one, take a moment to go over to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. Submit a question for us to consider. And we will do our best to tackle it uh, the first Monday of every month on the monthly Q&A shows. See you next Monday. Have a great week and take care.